Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Amen. Amen. Normally, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel according to John, but we're going to take a break for about five weeks from that book, and we're going to talk about something that's very important, and that is the future in the life of the church. We're going to cast vision, and we're going to encourage you and help you find your place uh, in alignment with the vision of what God has for His amazing church. And I can begin by simply saying this, wow, God has done amazing things in the life at the church at Sturkey Hills. Uh, we've been a part, amen, we've been a part, we've been a part, amen. We've been a part of a revitalization for 63 months, and God has done nothing short of miraculous in the life of the church. You don't even have to know that much about the church to come and participate and say, you know, there's something different about the church at Sturkey Hills. And it's not the pastor, it's not the people, it's the fact that God is doing something on this hill. And I will say this, it's exciting to be a part of a place where God is doing great things. Uh, we had students this week and adults up in Kentucky on a mission trip, and I, I knew it would be great, and it was great. Was it great? Amen. It was great. I knew it would, and they think it's great too. And you know what the coolest thing about it is? Jesus thinks it's great, all right? Because when we engage in what he wants us to do, uh, God just gets excited about people doing and being who it is they're supposed to be in the life of his church. And so we're excited about that. And uh, I, I just want to issue a warning now. Because sometimes when things are good, we get comfortable and a little bit complacent in the goodness, in fact, if, if you've ever had anything in your life that was a little bit less than good, just a struggle, and it moves to a place, man, where it just kind of feels good, all of a sudden we stop, we get comfortable because it feels so much better than it did. And the problem is often greatness is waiting just outside of where goodness is achieved. Let me say that again. Often, greatness is waiting just outside where goodness is achieved. It's like we get to this place where it feels so much better than it did that we get comfortable. And let me tell you something about the life of the church. When we get comfortable and we get satisfied with goodness, it's not going to get great. It'll be on decline. Listen, in the life of the church, if the church is not increasing, it is decreasing. If the church is not growing, it is shrinking. It's just natural. There's a thing called attrition. And in the church, it's, it's real. And, and it looks like this. If, if we're not growing, we're shrinking. Why attrition? What's included in attrition? Babies grow up and move away. So we decline. Uh, people, adults, take jobs in other cities. They move away and we decline. People grow old and the Lord calls them home. And we decline. So if we're not growing, we're shrinking. But I'm excited that we're a part of a church that's not shrinking. And it's not status quo and mundane. It's vibrant and alive and growing. 
And we're going to do everything possible to maintain that posture and that position before God that simply makes a statement to God that says this. God, you make this church whatever you want to make it, and I will not interfere with it. And if I am an interference to what you want to do, step me aside and put somebody else in my place. Now, that's a bold statement. Would you be willing to make that statement? God, if I'm running an interference, if I'm playing more defense than I am offense, then set me aside. I mean, that's a, that's a hard thing to say, and it's a, a difficult thing. But here's the thing. Listen, what got us here won't get us there. Do you get that? What we've been doing is fine to get us to where we are. But if we don't continue to do better at what we're called to do and who we're called to be as Christians and the church, what got us here won't get us there. We won't move any further. Now, you may be one of those. And if you are, don't say it in front of me. You may be one of those people who says, well, I don't really want to be a part of a big church. Well, you don't need to go to heaven when you die. It's going to be big. It's going to be enormous. He's been building it for 2,000 years just as the church. Okay? It's going to be big and it's going to be good. And it ain't all going to look like you. So it's time that we get out of that. Okay? Now, we, we're going to be smaller as we grow. but We do it through life groups. We'll probably always be in multiple services, and I'm okay with that. I kind of like it. But don't be that person that wants to hold the church back. It's really not a good idea. <clears throat> now, how do I know that the church, this church, the church at Sturkey Hills, is doing something right? Well, I just shared we got people going on mission locally and around the world. But did anybody see the uh, Satanic Children's Ministry Facebook post this week? Anybody see that? Yeah, not many. It's there, okay? Somebody posted they're wanting to start a satanic children's ministry in the school, and they thank Sturkey Hills Elementary and the church at Sturkey Hills and Elgin Foundation for making it possible that we're going to swing wide the door and they can walk on in, okay? Yeah. Did anybody see the WBIR News last night? Your pastor was on there, okay? And why? Because people are wanting to know. Now, just let me tell you. I'm going to tell you something else. Don't be this person. Do not be this person that says, well, maybe we ought not go into the schools and bring the kids out and teach them the Bible if it's going to open up the door for the devil. Don't say that. Don't embrace that false idea. Why? Because the devil is already at the school. Okay? Opening up the door. The door was swung wide years ago, and the devil walked in. And the church and the establishment said, we, don't, we can't have prayer in the, in the school. That's a lie. If you're a school teacher, you students, when you give a test, some of them have prayed. They pray while they're taking the test. Okay? You can't stop that. Okay? And not only that, but, but no Bible in the school. Okay? When in reality, the school system teaches the Bible, not God's Bible, but the, biblical, but the, the world's view of the Bible. They teach evolution without a creation side of the story. They teach a whole different narrative about morality and human nature and who we are and biology than what God's Word says. So, so Satan's already in the school. For us to bring children over here and teach them the Bible, and I said it on the news and they left it in there. The Katie, the, 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 the person who did the report, she did a really good job giving a balanced view of what this thing is. But in there, she put a part in there that I said that I thought was valuable. That really what we're trying to do is just offer children a biblical worldview. That's what we're trying to do. And that's it. Okay? 
because they get a secular worldview everywhere they go. And, and so how do I know that we're doing something right? At first, when I found out about this post, and Clark showed it to me, and it, there's two responses when the enemy attacks. One is flesh. And you want to get bowed up. Who is that? I'm going to grab him by the throat, punch him in the face. Okay? That's what Clark wanted to do. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, he kind of did, and so did I. But, but we didn't do that. Okay. And the other side is a spiritual, a spiritual approach. And, and we were standing in my garage, and I said, Clark, I said, it's kind of cool. I feel honored that the enemy is kind of attacking or persecuting. Because if you ain't doing anything to stand against darkness, he'll leave you alone. But when light engages with darkness, you know, the, it's like rubbing the cat the wrong way. I mean, here he comes. He gets bowed up. So it's kind of good to be sometimes, I mean, I'm not inviting it. I don't want it. But sometimes when it happens, it's, it's an encouragement and it's a note to self. Maybe I'm doing something right here because the enemy hates me a little bit more than normal. And let me just go ahead and tell you, it's okay to be hated by the enemy. Okay. Because when the enemy hates you more, that's when your champion, Jesus, rises up and steps up closer to defend you. And so I'm excited about all that's going on in the life of the church. And it's been great for 63 months. And I'm, I'm still stoked, but i got news for you. It's going to get better. We're going to move from good to great. We're going to go to another step in a journey. And I'm going on a trip. And I'm inviting you to go. Now watch this. If you choose not to go, I'm going to fly solo. I'll go by myself. I don't need you to go because God has already called me to go. And God is already waiting for me to take steps so I can arrive there and he's there ready to meet me. The question is, are you willing to go on that trip? Look at your neighbor and ask this question. Are you ready for the trip? Now look at your neighbor and say, don't let the bus leave without you. Because I contend today that there will be some of you who will, who will not move off the bubble, off dead center. And meanwhile, you will watch other people go on the journey and experience the greatness of the journey. And meanwhile, at the end of the day, you'll regret that you didn't go. Have you ever been invited someplace like on a trip or a journey and because of one circumstance or another or maybe just a personal desire, you didn't go, but they all went without you, man, and they come back and they're talking about what a stinking good time they had and you're sitting there thinking, man, I wish I would have went, okay? You ever had that happen? It's a miserable place to be. So I'm giving you a personal invitation. You don't have to be left behind. You can go. And when we get there, we will not be disappointed so here it is I want to challenge every person in our church family to prepare yourselves and commit yourselves to do your part of what God is going to do on your behalf I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not going to do myself I want to be the one in fact who leads the way on this journey God is already great he has let us experience the goodness and he's waiting on us to walk into his greatness. And so what does that look like and how do we get ready for it? Well, here's the hard part. I have a couple of, I'll call them mentors, pastors who I talk to about church and, and how to handle one thing or another. And especially with a growing church, how to stay ready for the next level. 
One of them is a, a, an amazing guy. His name is Scott Cagle, and he pastors at North, uh, North Star over in West Knoxville. And one of the pastor's names is Trent Stewart. He pastors Foothills, the church at Foothills over in Blount County. And both of them are great churches, man, and God has blessed them. And, and they built buildings and had to go through all of that that, that entails. And, and so I meet with them. And so in the last meeting, at different times, this is in a nutshell what they said. They, they said... Uh, you know how much change took place to move you from 50 to 400? And I said, yeah, it was a lot. And they both essentially said this, it's going to take a whole lot more to move it to the next level. I'm like, yeah. Okay. And then they said this, and you know, who, you know what needs to change the most? And I said, yeah. I said, I know it's them people I preach to every week. But scoundrels, okay? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I, I, I said, what, who, what? And they said, you. I'm like, me? They say, yeah, you have to change more than anybody else. And I'm like, well, let's unpack that a little bit because I don't even know what you're talking about. And so they begin to tell me how I need to change. And so here's where I'm at. i got to change more than the rest of y'all, okay? And I'm okay with it because God's calling us to a, a major journey. And if he wants me to change, and he does, then I'm willing to change. And so I, I wrote this statement. This is who I am. I want you to know who I am. And I wrote this is the heart of who I am. As senior pastor, I can assure you I am and I must continue to do everything possible to prepare myself spiritually, mentally, and physically for the journey. I have to lean in and yield to the direction of the Holy Spirit more and more every day. And I feel that. I, I'm feeling that happen. Uh, I have to stay close to the core of our Christian experience, which is to love God with everything and love everybody else too. I am currently enrolled now to finish my doctoral work. I'll finish next fall. And, and, and I've had to read four or five books in the last two weeks. And, and it's already it, it making my, me think and helping me grow. I'm trying to work out faithfully at CussFit four or five days a week right down here at One Valley. Okay, to prepare me physically for what God wants to do in the future. I know it's going to be great. I want to be ready for all God has planned for the church at Sturkey Hills. And I want you to be ready. Why? Because it sure is good. But greatness is waiting for us to get there. Amen? Now, how do we get there? Well, the next few weeks is going to prepare us for how we prepare ourselves to experience all that God wants for us. Because I want you to know whether you're a single, whether you're married, whether you're a widow, widower, whether you're a, a student or an adult, it doesn't matter. God is building a beautiful church here. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I love about Sturkey Hills as much or more than I love many of the churches around us. The easiest thing to do in church culture is to design a church that uh, attracts a particular demographic. So if you want to reach 20 to 30-year-olds, you know, you, 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 put, you put an environment that's loud and energetic and, and everybody's cool, you know, and the pastor's got compression jeans on and, you know, and bun on his head. That's for Joe, and he's cool like that. If I showed up in compression jeans and a bun on my head, y'all ought to fire me because I'm trying to be somebody I ain't, all right? And so, but if you're wanting to reach that demographic, man, you just structure it to fit that, reach that people. Let me tell you what I love about Sturkey Hills. I got some senior saints up in this place that I love the absolute Jesus out of them. I mean, they are, they just love me. You love me. You know, she's crying because she loves me so much and she knows I love her. She knows that's real. As I'm, you know, that's true. I ain't making that up. And she's not making that up. Okay. I'm telling you. 
We got senior adults that are off the charts. Right there's a, tr- a trifecta right there. Okay? We've got them. Okay? But that's not all we have. Walk down in the preschool. You can't walk down. They've expanded everywhere. Babies flying out everywhere. Okay? We got babies coming this week, don't we? Yeah, we do. Amen. Praise Jesus. I'm telling you, we got them from, we got them from newborns coming this week to senior adults and all in between. And that's, that's what the church, I think, ought to look like. I think the senior adults bring wisdom and the young people bring life. And you put those together and let Jesus fill it up. And he'll set the world on fire from a hill located on 904 Drygate Pike. And you get to be a part of it. And I, I don't take that lightly. I, I'm humbled. I, I'm, 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 I'm confused about why God would let me be a part of something so cool because it's been a work in the making. Now watch this. I, I didn't see this till just a few weeks ago. Kendra and I have been married for 34 years, and we were both raised in God-fearing, Jesus-loving, church-faithful families. Okay, She was, and I was. We didn't know each other. And God put us two together, and, uh, and then he sent us to Chattanooga. And while in Chattanooga, he dropped us in a big old church that was on fire for Jesus. And we were givers. We understood tithing because we were raised in tithing, giving families. So we gave. But then all of a sudden, the church is growing, people getting saved and joining the church. And we had to build a building. And so we bought a bowling alley and put education space in it. And it was a sacrifice. And that big old preacher down there, man, he'd just shout and holler and carry on. He says, you know, it's time to go to another level of giving, sacrificial giving. I'm sitting there thinking that 10% was a pretty big sacrifice. And he says, that's just being obedient. Let me pause. If you don't give 10% of your income, you're just not being obedient to Scripture. Now, that's not hard because I'm encouraging you to go to a different place. Why? Because there's blessing waiting in obedience, Okay. And if, honestly, if everybody gave 10% of their income, we wouldn't have to have annual fundraising campaigns, but that's beside the point. So we were givers, and then the preacher said, it's time to go to a different level of giving called sacrificial giving. What does that look like? And, and, and he said, just go pray about it. And one of the gifts was, Kendra and I prayed about it, and we were talking about it. I think he told me what to give. She said, what is it? I said, $800. She said, what's who told me? Well, you got $800 stashed away in a sock drawer? Nope. Listen, when God calls us to give, he will provide the resources to give. And watch this. Sometimes you don't see the resources because you haven't been obediently committed to give it if you had it. Mm. Sometimes he's waiting for our commitment of obedience so he can say, Dad, you did good here. Give that. You're like, are you kidding? I'm telling you. That's the way he does it. It's beautiful when he does it that way. Often what we want to do is we want to give based on what we have, not on what he has. So, so we, we would give, and we thought, okay, we're here at this great church, and we're giving year after year, sacrificially giving. And Meanwhile, God's blessing our beautiful little family. And then God moved us to Alabama, just outside of Birmingham, and we were in a good church, had a nice facility. And doggone if it didn't start growing too. And so, here we go. What we got to do? Had to build a worship center. Had to build classroom space. What are we? Sacrificial giving. I thought we ran from Chattanooga to get away from that. Okay? So what do they do? We start giving again. So we left that church. God moved us to a little church out in central Alabama. Little church. Been there over 100 years. That's where God put us. And it started growing too. And it's not because of us. He's putting us where he's moving. Because he knows he's going to challenge us to give. And he's going to provide the gift that he challenges us to give. And so 
we did it there. We give, and we built a new worship center, family, uh, um, fellowship hall, and classroom space. And then God moved us to Clinton, the Second Baptist Church. And we were in an old building, started busting at the seams. And so we moved over on the river, Public Safety Drive. And we built a 1,400-seat worship center and a classroom space and offices and a, a million-dollar fellowship, I mean, a family life center. And, and then God moved us here. Now, why do I tell you that story? Listen to this. This is so beautiful. The whole time since... 1985, God has been preparing us for this. Isn't that funny? And it's, although I was surprised just about a month ago when I thought about that, <laughs> Jesus was never surprised at all. As a matter of fact, he's orchestrating it the whole time. For this moment, for a time such as this, for a work such as this, he brought us here. And so I'm, I, I'm, I'm amazed by that. Now listen to me. Young people, college students, middle schoolers and high schoolers, young families with babies. We get asked all the time, how, how do you go through life and, and avoid some of the stuff that this world has to offer as a family? Because our girls are, are good girls. They're engaged in ministry and they're serving here at the church. And, and they, they've done pretty good. Were they perfect? No. But they're pretty good. All right? And, and have we had hard times? Yeah, I had to give them the beat down on a few occasions. Okay. But, 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 but has it been good? Yeah. And, and can you avoid all difficulty in your life? No, 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 no. Jesus suffered and said those that follow him will suffer too. It's part of the Christian experience. Okay? We have hurts too. But what hedges it? What, what, what shelters your family from some of the stuff that comes into your world? So I made a few notes. Number one, continual faithfulness to the Lord and his church in the difficult times. Those times when it's not necessarily cool or sexy to be a part of church. When you live a life that's not cool or sexy to the world. And, 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 and they need to see that out of you. They're not going to raise the bar. They're going to watch you. And, and, and you're the litmus on how engaged they want to be in God's world. Number two, maintain a lifestyle and a demeanor that's the same on Monday through Saturday as it is on Sunday. That's critical. They don't want to hear what you say. They want to see what you do. Number three, may, uh, uh, pray daily for your family. It's mandatory. You pray, y'all praying for your baby that's coming this week. You've been praying. You've been praying. We've been praying. Y'all got babies. You pray for that baby. It's easy to pray for a baby because you, you don't know how much you can love something until you have a baby. And man, you love it. And I tell people all the time, you think you love it, right? It's a newborn. Oh, I know I love it. You ain't got a clue. Okay, it gets worse and worse and worse. You just, you're madly in love with your baby. At 12 or 13, it kind of flattens out. Okay. <laughs> But up 12, 13, you love them more every day, okay? Now, so you got to pray for them, mandatory. you got to pray for them all the time. Number four, you, you need to have them in a church that loves Jesus and doesn't just say it, but shows it. That's serving and reaching out and shining light in a dark world. You need to have a church where, where it, the, the Word of God is preached unapologetically when it's not user-friendly to the world. Number five, you need to be growing personally alongside your growing church and have continual expectations and new levels of engagement, tangible Christianity. Now, here's what's fun about it. College students, young people, young families, adults and senior adults, what I just described can be found at the church at Sturkey Hills. 
I'm not selling the church. I'm telling you, it's here. And if the Lord calls me home and he takes me home to heaven tomorrow, he is, that's here. It's not me. It's, it's, it's him and he's here. Okay? And I'm telling you, if you will engage and step into that next level of journey, you will not be disappointed because God is never a disappointing God when we understand him. Sometimes he's a God that allows things that hurt. I said it last week. Sometimes God permits that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. But all the while, God is never a disappointing God. And the closer we get to him, the more we realize that that's who he is. So I stand today humbly and yet boldly to declare that God is on the move. And he's inviting us to step into it and to see what happens. Amen? It's good. It's good. Now, now uh, we're going to see God show off. That's what we're going to see. Because, because this is his church. And let me tell you something about God. He's all about some church. He's all about some church. How do I know? His only son died brutally on a cross. Rose from the dead on the third day to give birth to the church. His son is waiting, I think, anxiously for the day when the father says, Jesus, go get your bride. Who is who? The church. See, he loves the church. He's committed to the church, and he wants us to get that. And so, all because of what we've seen God do is just a template, a reminder, um, an encouragement to know of the great things he's going to do moving forward. So, I want to tell you this. Some of you kind of know this already, but I'm just going to go, ahead, I'm going to go out on record, video camera. I'm going to go ahead and say it on video. Spring of 2020, we're going to begin construction on our new facility. There, it's on record now. Okay. Yeah. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to show you what that looks like. We've got new drawings, and we'll present those, and it'll go in the field right here beside us. And the greatest part of that is not just a, a larger worship center to accommodate for growth. It's not just an area to gather, which is really cool. The greatest part of what we're going to do is for people like you guys on the far end, a whole preschool wing and a children's wing that's going to be state-of-the-art and off the chain because we want to be the place where families feel good about bringing their children to learn about the love of God and the gift of Jesus. And so 2020, that's the plan. Now, so the drawings are complete. They've already been submitted for approval to the, to the city, and it's all good. Um, the, uh, the bank is already ready to accommodate the resources we need. They're, they like what's happening here, and they're in. Interest rates are low. Okay, and, and so here's what, here's what we're going to do. On the 24th of November and the 1st of December, two consecutive weeks on, the, on both sides, bookends for Thanksgiving, the Day of Gratitude, we're going to take up an offering and a pledge. I'm just telling you in advance, so if you want to skip that day, you can. Okay? Uh, on both sides of Gratitude Day, Thanksgiving, we're going to take up an offering. And you know what our goal is? This is, this is good. $500,000. I'm counting on you big. $500,000. Now, that's a lot of money. If you believe that's a lot of money, say amen. amen. For the person that didn't say it, I thank you. The Lord has sent you here. You can write a check. <laughs> pocket change, all right? How do you get $500,000? God already has it. It's in our pockets. 
We have about 240 giving units in our church, singles, marrieds, whatever, different giving units so at different levels of giving. There's some who give regularly at some level, not tithing. There's many there's some who tithe, and there's some who give beyond the tithe on a regular basis. But we have about 240 giving units. If 200 giving units said, I'm going to give the church, the kingdom, $2,500 over the next 12 months, or I'm going to write a check on the 24th or the 1st of December, um, we would have a half million dollars. Do your math. 200 times 2,500, half million. Every time you add it up, it comes up the same number. But here's the thing. Some people in here won't be able to give $2,500 for one of two reasons. One, because they're not financially able to do so. They're on a fixed income, and they just don't have the resources to do it. Some people won't be able to give $2,500 because they're not there spiritually yet that would allow them to restructure their finances so that they could give, okay? Some people won't be able to give $2,500 because to give $2,500, it won't be a sacrifice. See, there's people in here who will write a check for $50,000. There's people in here who write a check for $25,000 and $10,000 and $5,000. I'm praying God sends $100,000, okay? So if all of us give according to what God puts in our heart, then we meet $500,000 and beyond. I'm telling you, it's the truth. And I'm inviting you on a journey. And I want you to be here for the next few weeks to learn what that looks like. To find out, engage in what the Word says about our resources. So to launch into that, to figure out, how we find out what God wants, and that's all I want for you is what God wants for you. I don't want you to give 50 cents that you hadn't prayed over and what we're going to talk about fasted over. That's disobedient. I want you to give no more, no less than what the Holy Spirit of God convicts and compels your heart and your life to give. So, so the theme now, here's the theme. The theme for the next year is from good to great for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. That's who we're going to be. From good to great for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. And so the mini-series that we're in for the next five weeks is called From Good to Great with 2020 Vision. All right? From Good to Great with 2020 Vision. And you know what our goal is. So how are we going to know what part God wants us to play? Look at your neighbor and say, you're getting ready to find out. You're, I know what you're thinking. Man, it's 25 till. He ain't even started preaching yet. Am I? <laughs> And my worship guide's got four points. I'm not letting you out till you give a big check. So just, you know, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here we go. The title of the message is Hungry for Greatness. If you're not hungry for the greatness of God, you can just, you can whistle in the back of your mind, take you a nap. If you're not hungry for the greatness of God, you don't care what God is going to do in the field next door. And you don't care what your part is. But if you want to know, if you want to find out, it's time to be hungry for greatness. And this is what it looks like there's two primary spiritual disciplines in the life of a christian at any age one is prayer and one is fasting when we talk about prayer man everybody says we pray i mean i'm praying when i get up in the morning praying i'm praying uh over most all my meals i'm praying at night i'm praying when somebody has a crisis i'm praying most of us would say we pray and and if we don't pray if we realize i need to pray more i'm stepping in i'm gonna pray more but then we get to the second part of that fasting crickets okay i don't i don't want to know i don't i don't want that part i mean prayer doesn't require anything sacrificial on my part but a little bit of time and focus fasting requires a little more and and so when we talk about this thing it's uncomfortable because it's connected to food initially. And we're food people. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, y'all going to have your baby. You know what we're going to bring over to your house? 
food. New birth, let's celebrate, cover dish. Okay? A child grow, starts growing up, goes to kindergarten, graduates from kindergarten. Whole different message. What do we do? We have a party. What do we serve? Food. They start growing up. Food, 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 food. Okay? They graduate college. Food. Get married. We have a reception. You know what to do at the reception? Eat food. Okay? They get sick along the way. Come home. You know what we take them? Food. One day they die. Go to heaven. We all celebrate with a covered dish. Food. From inception to termination, food, okay? And then right in the middle of that, the Word of God speaks into that and says, what if you fasted? What if you just denied food, a physical thing for a while, to pursue something spiritual? And, and, and ultimately, that's what it is. I realize food is a necessity, but what fasting is is when we say, God, I want to experience a different level in my spiritual journey. I want to know, I want to engage a little closer. I want to, see, I want, I want to, I want to, I want to feel um, a new level of intimacy with you. And I'm willing to set aside something physical so you can fill that desire with something spiritual. Now that's, that's, that's the bigness of it, okay? And so, so it's not easy. I'd like to stand here as your pastor and say, yeah, it's easy, man. You just do it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I weigh 240 pounds. If it was easy, I'd weigh 195. All right? You know, it's, you know it's, I mean, I'm not the only one in here who likes to eat, okay? I, I, I don't think anybody in here likes to eat more than me, okay? But I'm not the only one. I, we love to eat. I, I, the allure and power of food has been around for a long time. Do you, do you know that? In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the woman saw the fruit on the tree, and this is what she says. It was good, it was good for food. It was attractive to the eyes, and it would make one wise. I call it pies, eyes, and wise. It was a full package. Even the, 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 the sin, the inception of sin among mankind was connected to food. You spend the Bible forward to Genesis 25, we encounter it again. Jacob and Esau. Esau has the birthright. He has the blessing in the future of the father. Jacob is a homeboy, helping mama around the house. Esau goes hunting, comes in, and it looks like this in, Jake, in Genesis 25, 31. Jacob said, excuse me, Esau said to Jacob, let me have some of that red stew because I'm exhausted. And Jacob, being the deceiver, he said... If you'll sell me your birthright, verse 32, Esau said, Man, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? You see that? He sacrificed his whole birthright for a pot, a bowl of soup. Okay? And, and did you hear what Esau said? Man, I'm dying over here. You ever say that? Man, I'm starving to death. You ain't starving. I'm looking at you. Y'all ain't starving to death. Some of y'all can go for weeks. You got, got some on standby just waiting. Okay? But that's what we do. We take, we, it's so serious, man. I'm dying over here. I'm exhausted over here. He exchanged his birthright for a bowl of soup. Numbers chapter 11. The whole nation of Israel, all of them, had been released from captivity in Egypt for 400 years of bondage and slavery. And God miraculously leads them out. They get out in the wilderness. And we're hungry and crying and carrying on. So God created something brand new, never before seen, never since seen. It's called manna. 
Look it up. You know what manna means? We don't know what this is. That's what it actually definition. We don't know what this is. All right? And so they were every day fresh manna. They got tired of manna, manna and manna sandwiches. And so, uh, so they started crying out again. Listen to what it sounds like in Numbers 11. Moses is speaking to God on behalf of them. He says, where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me. And this is what they say. Give us meat that we may eat. Who's that sound like? Sound like me advertising for Man Update, didn't it? Okay. Give us some meat. We're not happy anymore. I mean, all through the Bible, this thing about food is alluring, and it becomes, it moves up notch by notch on the totem pole, on the priority list before God. I'll go on record saying this. We said the goal was $500,000, $2,500 per unit for 200 units. You know what that is? That's $6 and like 40-something cents per day per family unit to get to $2,500. You know what that is? That's, that's like one Starbucks, okay? That's like a couple of trips to Waggles down here with a donut, you know? That's what that looks like, okay? That's like, that's like, does anybody in here realize how much you spend on food each month? Have you actually tracked that? It's ridiculous. We cook in home less, eat out more, and then we throw a tip because we're going to show the love. And if you ain't tip, if, you, if you're one of those Christians that don't tip, don't t- tell them you go to another church, okay? You're not with us, Okay? Because they're giving their, they're, they're serving you, you need to tip them. But here's the thing, you, we spend a boatload of money. And I got family, man. When, when my girls go with me, I, a lot of times I just go ahead and pay for their food, okay? I don't have to. And they don't look at me like, you getting this? Okay? You love me? You know? They don't do that. But I end up spending a lot of money on food. And if we just trim back the food, we build buildings. Isn't that weird? And yet that's what the Bible talks about from the beginning to the end. So how do we get there? Okay? How do, we, how do we experience greatness? Well, we're, we're going we're to fast. We're going to fast. And we don't like that word. So let's get into the message. Number one, an explanation for the fast. An explanation of the fast. In the New Testament, the Greek word simply means to abstain from food. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word actually means to cover your mouth. In both cases, it means not to eat. So that's the idea that you go without eating. Now here's what's odd. The disciplines of the Bible, whether it's Bible study, prayer, witnessing, fasting, whatever you want to pick out of the Bible, you can find all kinds of information that's been written through the years to help you know more about it. But it's odd when it comes to fasting, between 1861 and 1954, there were no books written on fasting. That was the hungriest bunch of seasoned people you've ever seen. No, No books on that. Okay, And so it's something that we miss an opportunity to participate in. Seventy-four times this idea is surfaces in God's Word. And, and it never means like a, a glorified holy weight loss program. I, I was in a conversation. I, wasn't, I was just listening, eavesdropping. There were some ladies, this has been a few years ago, and they were talking about fasting. I mean, it sounded so spiritual. It sounded so good till the end. And she, one of them says, yo, I just came off a fast 21 days. It was great. When I would read the Bible, it was like it just jumped out on me. And when I would pray, I just felt the Holy Spirit's presence right there. It was easy for me to discern good and evil and know his will. And I'm listening, thinking, man, that's good. And at the end, she had to run the whole thing. She said, and I lost about 10 pounds. <laughs> Why'd you have to throw that in, you know? Because I, I think the, uh, the other woman that was talking, I think that literally, you lost 10 pounds. You know, forget all that other stuff. I can lose 10 pounds. Okay, it's not a glorified holy diet. Okay, it is a desire to replace something physical with something spiritual. So that's the explanation of what the fast is. Number two, now there's an exhortation 
of the fast. To exhort means to encourage or promote. So if you're going to ask somebody to weigh in on the importance and significance of fasting, who would be your greatest champion for that? None, none other than Jesus. So in Matthew 6, verse 16, Jesus weighs in. Here's what he says. He begins it with this. When you fast. Then he goes on, he says, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. And truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, listen to this, who sees what is done in secret will reward you so say that with me when you fast now Jesus was implying that you're going to fast he doesn't say now if you fast you know if that's something you feel like you need in your life he doesn't he embraces he says when you fast whenever this is part of your life which will be he says this is how to do it now now in the exhortation to fast he even tells us a little bit of how to do it we'll get to that in a minute but he says here's how not to do it you know, don't walk around, you know, with, this hung, with a look, hungry look on your face. You know, stomach growling. <laughs> Do you hear that? My stomach is growling. Okay. You want to go to lunch? No, nah, I can't go to lunch today. You're wanting them to ask why. Yeah, I, I, I won't be able to go today. I might be able to go in 21 days, but I can't go today. Okay. Because you want them to ask, you know. Oh, you want a spiritual fast? You know, you, you want to tell them. You might even, you know, you carry your Bible around. No, I won't be able to eat with you today. Okay? Listen, Jesus said, no. You don't run around all mopey looking like you're starving to death, like you just lost your dog. Okay? You, you, in secret, in private, this is something between you. Tell your neighbor, you and the God who created you. It's just, that's right, it's just between you and God. Okay? Now, if you're married, you know, and your wife cooks up something, and you're sitting there stirring it around on the plate. I don't know. You got trouble right there. You're going to have to clear that up early, all right? And so, so to exhort you, to encourage you, to promote the idea of when you fast in your life, listen, I want you to hear who you would be keeping company with, okay? This is good. This is who you're going to be walking with. In Deuteronomy 9, Moses fasted before receiving the Ten Commandments. Pretty cool. David mourned his child's illness in 2 Samuel, fasted. Elijah fasted while escaping from Jezebel, 1 Kings. Ezra fasted while mourning over the sin of the people, Ezra 10. Esther fasted for the safety of all the Jews, Esther 4. Darius fasted for the safety of Daniel, Daniel 6. Daniel fasted for an answer to prayer, Daniel 10. Paul fasted after his conversion before he began his ministry and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Acts 9. The church elders in Antioch fasted before sending out missionaries in Acts chapter 13. And if that's not a cool enough company to roll with when it comes to fasting, here's the pinnacle. This is the greatest one. Jesus fasted after he was baptized, before he began his earthly ministry as Savior of the world, before he went to the mountain to be tempted with the three categories of temptation. And wouldn't you know it, after 40 days of fasting, nothing, no, no water, no food, no bread, after 40 days, what do you think temptation number one, fast pitch number one from the enemy would be? Hey, Jesus, see those stones? 
why don't we turn them to bread? Isn't that amazing? All through the Bible, this food thing is elevated. It's, it's revealed as something that's at the wrong level on our priority list. And he even used it on Jesus. So, arguably, fasting is connected to the greatest revelations of God throughout time to humanity, including what? The Ten Commandments, Jesus' earthly ministry, and the conversion of Saul to Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's the kind of stuff God does when we listen and learn and respond and apply this stuff to our life. Now, if, if I said right now, man, after hearing that, who wants to fast today? Some of y'all think, man, I already had my heart set on Aubrey's, you know? i got a crock pot at home with roast beef in it, okay? That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting to a place where we simply say, God, is this something you want me to do so you can reveal something spiritual in the place of something physical? Is this something you want me to do so in those moments when I'm satisfying the flesh with this physical thing, instead I turn to you and I pray or I read some scripture and allow you to fill that void with something bigger than physical stuff? That's all it is. And then let him tell you what that looks like. So we have an explanation. We have an exhortation. Thirdly, we have the execution of the fast. This is when we fast, how do we fast, how long do we fast, and what qualifies as a fast. Well, in Exodus 34, Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or water. That's the same with Jesus. Let me go ahead and exhort you not to do that, okay? Don't, don't set out and say, I've never fasted before in my life, but 40 days, I think I can do this, okay? Don't set out and take no water or no food for 40 days unless you talk to the doctor first, okay? Those are supernatural fasts. Okay, your body is not designed to live like that. So, so if you ever want to do a 40 day fast, you can get online. You can learn more about a liquid fast where you take juices, particular juices that that will sustain your body without doing damage. Okay, so there's a 40 day fast. Sometimes the 40 day fast is not complete or total fast from everything. It's just a season that you separate something physical from your life to allow God to do something spiritual. In Elijah in 1 Kings, his was 40 days and nights. Esther in Esther 4 was three days and three nights. In Acts, it was three days and three nights. Uh, so in the Bible, you'll find as a biblical scriptural fast, a short fast, a long fast, a complete fast, a partial fast, and all the while, here's all that God's looking for. He's looking for you and for me to simply say, God, I want something more spiritually from you, and I'm willing to sacrifice something physical to experience that. And he'll honor that. And he'll jump in the middle of it, and he'll bless you. And so, so what does that mean? What does that mean? What, what is it you're supposed to do? Well, it means you're supposed to find something that's valuable physically in your life. And set it aside for a season of time. And in those moments when you would normally satisfy that desire physically, you pursue God through prayer and Bible study. You know what that is for some of us? It may not be food at all. It might be. But you know what it might be for some of us? It might be social media. For some of us, it would be easier to go foodless for 40 days than to go social media-less. Okay? Because we're addicted to that stuff. 
right? Y'all looking at me so pious. You, you know you are. You're addicted to it. Okay? I see you on there because I'm addicted to it. Okay? But maybe it's that. Maybe it's something as simple as that. Maybe it's a part of your diet. Maybe it's caffeine. Maybe I'm not supposed to drink coffee or caffeinated soft drinks for the next 40 days or 21 days. Some of y'all said I'd rather do without social media. Matter of fact, I'll take out the food. Got to have the coffee. Okay? Whatever it is, whatever that, God will tell you. And whatever he tells you, do it. For some of us, it may be a seven-day literal water-only fast. That's the, most, that's the greatest fast I've ever done. And it's hard, okay? But God shows up. And let me tell you something. God is not so concerned about us making huge spiritual, spiritual leaps in the moment always. Often, God is looking for baby steps headed in the right direction. And if you've never fasted from anything, ask him what that is. Maybe it's, maybe it's a week of no this or that in your life. Maybe it's 40 days. Listen, maybe the fast he wants from you most is a fast from that repetitive sin that seems to plague you. Those websites, those thoughts, that gossip, those lies, those fabrications. Maybe that's what it is. But whatever it is, let him speak to you. Give in to it. Listen, and at the same time, pray. In all the fast of the Bible, these are some of the categories that the fast was a response to or a desire for. Uh, they were fasting because of war, fasting because of sickness, fasting for forgiveness and repentance, fasting for protection, fasting because of temptation, fasting for service, for a new ministry, for a major decision. And church, I want you in the, whatever yours is, is fine, but I want you to, to fast and pray for war because the enemy is waging war against the church that's on fire for Jesus, and that's us. I want you to pray for protection for your leadership in your church because the enemy hates us, and I'm glad because that means Jesus loves us all the more. I want you to pray for your part in service, what God wants you to do to be engaged uh, in this ministry that he has called the church. I want you to pray for what's happening next year in the field next door. And, and, and lastly, I want you to pray for a decision about what God would have you give financially that shows your sacrificial commitment to his church and to his kingdom and so the, 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 the options are unlimited and I, I'm almost finished when Jesus began his earthly ministry to be the savior of the world okay he was baptized and the father spoke from heaven man this is my boy I'm well pleased and the Holy Spirit came and, and descended like a dove and landed on him he said Jesus is like okay it's time to start my ministry it's said the game is on all right I've lived 30 uh, 30 years in perfection qualifying for this moment now we're going forward he didn't phone a friend and say okay what's next okay he, he didn't get a book okay he didn't go and he fasted he fasted that's what he did and so we're at that place where something significant is on the threshold that God wants to do. And I truly believe he wants us to fast. And they will all be different. And yet if they're all in obedience, God will honor them all and he will bless it. And finally, what's the expectation of the fast? As the worship team comes forward. When you fast, this is what you can expect. A deeper prayer life. A more valuable, a more... Uh, exciting, vibrant prayer life, a deeper care for the world, 
You begin to realize when you're hungry, you begin to realize that a third of the world goes to bed every day hungry. You begin to have a deeper sense of holiness. And God begins to shine a light on the things that he doesn't want in your life along with whatever thing you're fasting from. You have a deeper value for food. If you abstain from a particular food for a season, when, when the fast is over and you have that food, it, it's the best you've ever had because you hadn't had it in a while. You have a deeper understanding of truth. God begins to enlighten us on Scripture and how our life is or is not aligned with it. And so, how do we make that commitment? How do we go from the place where we've never fasted to a place where we are? We simply get to a place where we say, well, I was kind of uh, ignorant. I didn't get that memo, okay? Or, unfortunately, our preacher has rattled my cage about it, and I need to have that in my life, okay? That's where we, that's where we begin. So what do we do with it? What do we do with that? We simply say, okay, God, I feel this. So help me, God, determine the purpose and the reason. What, what, what do you want me to fast from so I'll know what I can expect and I'm fasting for? Do, do, is, do you want me to fast and pray just for our church and its leadership? Do, do you want me to fast so I'll know what, what the gift is that you would be honored by, that you would bless moving us into the future, that my sacrificial gift would be something that you use in, in your eternal kingdom? Number two, then once you know that, once you feel that, and you can feel that, you don't have to create it on your own. You'll feel it. You may run from it and say, no, that ain't it. Give me another one. It's not multiple choice. When he tells you, you just respond to it. You, you own that. Then the second part of it is you simply say, okay, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to commit to following that kind of fast. Number three, you say, God, now how long do you want me to do this? Is it a week? You know, it's not. And let me tell you what God's not going to do. He's not going to say, now, Joel, I want you to fast for four hours between lunch and dinner every day for the next week. Okay, Jesus, thank you. I'm on it. Okay, that's not a fast. Okay, whatever he tells you, you write it down. You say, now, God, how long do you want me to do this? And he'll, he'll tell you. Is it a week? Is it two weeks? Is it 21 days? Is it 40 days? Is it, whatever it is, you just write that down. This is what I feel you're telling me. Okay, now here's the next one. I want you to find an accountability partner. Not the whole world. He, Jesus, Jesus addressed that. I want you to find a partner, maybe your spouse, maybe a brother or sister, maybe a friend, maybe a parent. You say, listen, I just want to tell you, I'm not telling this to brag. I'm telling you this because I need somebody to hold me accountable. I'm going to be fasting for this amount of time. This is what I'm going to fast from. And this is what I'm hoping to experience on the journey. Fourth, I mean, excuse me, fifth, what is the motivation behind the fast? For me what do I hope to accomplish in being obedient to this discipline and whatever you write down write it on a card somewhere put it in your purse or your wallet put it somewhere where it's close to you and down at the bottom of that you sign your name that you're committed to it and God will honor it he will bless you and he will reveal things to you that you never would see before or otherwise. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. 
I'm so excited about what God's doing in the life of our church and what He wants to do in your life and my life too. I'm telling you, I'm excited. And I feel the excitement from you too. God is a good, good God wanting to do great, great things. And maybe you're here today and I want to tell you something that might just happen in your fast. Maybe you've struggled with your salvation for years. Whether you're truly a child of God, born again, washed in the sacrificial blood of Jesus. If you will commit to the fast, He may just reveal to somebody in here that you're not saved after all. And what an amazing truth that when you, when you get that, that you'll know that He's inviting you to the place where you know that you're born again and you can be saved. For others, you will experience a freshness in your encounter with the God who created you and Jesus the Son who died to save you and the Holy Spirit who now indwells you. And so I just want to encourage you and challenge you and maybe today you just want to come to the altar and say, help me with this thing. Help me nail this down just like you would have it, Father, because I know you only want what's best in my life. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the challenge of your word. God, I pray that you will burn it in our hearts and in our souls. God, I pray that we would respond in obedience, God, that we would choose to pursue another level of who you are and our experience with you, God. I pray that for those who, who don't know right now what that looks like, God, I pray that you will just make it incredibly clear and they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt what it is that you desire of them regarding this discipline of fasting and praying. We give you this time in Jesus' name.